Let us pray. God, we thank you again for this time, and now we come before you with hearts and ears attentive to your word. And God, we know that at this hour and this time that our good and your glory is your desire. And so God, let that be our desire. And we thank you, God, for mercy in our life once again unto that end. And that you would grant us, God, wisdom today. Encouragement again in this hour. As we worship you with our hearts and our ears. And God, I use this time in your scripture to transform us all the more unto the image of Christ. Namely, this image of gentleness. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, again, uh, welcome and a special welcome to those who are uh, watching online or will at a later time. Today we are finishing up a brief series we've uh, been in on the importance of attending to our own lives and our spiritual maturity in light of the temptation uh, to dwell upon the lives of others. And today we are uh, going to be in Galatians chapter 6 in a message entitled, When Their Business uh, Becomes Your Business. And I hope you had a chance to check out our uh, previous two messages. One of those is online. The other one, uh, unfortunately, was not streamed last week, but we do have some copies of that audio. If you missed it, you can see uh, me, and I'd be happy to give you one of those. But we've been building over the course of these uh, three weeks, really capping out our discussion today. And on this uh, topic, this uh, focus in our message today, I was reminded of a quote I once read from Don Shula, who was the coach of the Miami Dolphins in the 70s, 80s, and mid 90s. He was talking to a reporter about a player's mistake in practice, and he said, We never let an error go unchallenged. Uncorrected errors multiply. And the reporter said, Isn't there a benefit in overlooking a small flaw? And Shula said, What is a small flaw? I think about that all day long. I see that with my children. I've let a lot of things slide by because I was too tired. I didn't want another confrontation. But uncorrected errors do multiply. You've got to face them someday. You might as well face them today. It's easier on them and easier on you. But that only works in relationship. And success, including of the confrontation itself, lies in the details. Look at me at Galatians chapter 6. Verses 1 and 2. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourselves, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. There comes a time... When the business of others becomes our business, of course, preceding that, as we've talked about these two weeks, is repenting of our own sin 
is being sure our heart is right and being sure we're the right person to deal with those issues. But when that time comes, and there does come a, come a time from time to time where others' business becomes our business, we are called to confront it. That's what the Word says. And to do so with patience and to do so with gentleness. And so when that time comes, what's the goal? That's our question today. And how do we do that work of confrontation in a way that honors the Lord? As you think on that, you consider that point. Our first point of focus is this, that restoration is the goal. We're looking at verse 1 in chapter 6. Now Galatians, this book, is written uh, to a church that is made up of Jewish and non Jewish converts, so people who the scripture refers to as Gentiles and Jews who have come to salvation in Jesus, but because of their backgrounds, they have a difference of opinion on the ways to apply the truth of the scripture. And so inside of the church, these folks are fairly new in the faith, but as happens from time to time, you probably experience this in your life, we become acclimated to some new idea and then we pretty easily think we have it under control. We might even think we're experts in it after a brief amount of time has passed. And so this is occurring in this church. Some have just heard about Christianity, just really become converts maybe in the past couple of years, but their background is Jewish or Gentile. And so they've come together and then inside of the church, they are facing disagreements about how to apply the scripture rightly. What is the right way to live. They're coming through, yes, this lens of the gospel, which they all believe, but with backgrounds that are different. And so that leads to differences of opinion, different viewpoints, and ultimately, unfortunately, in this church at Galatia, leads to conflict. And so Paul writes to clarify when to confront specifically one issue, which is when somebody's caught in sin. And so when somebody in the life of the church or a believer that you know is caught in sin, what is the right way to confront them? That's the focus. There's lots of issues this church is dealing with. That's the focus Paul is addressing in these verses. Caught in transgression is the word that he uses. Caught in disobedience to God and to others. And so this is what Paul says about how to rightly confront. He says, who, who is to confront? Well, we note there in verse 1, those who are spiritual, which means those who have un, uh, do not have unrepented sin in their life. So they have no ongoing sin in their life. They may be sinning occasionally, as we talked about, but there's not a besetting, ongoing, unrepented sin in their life. We talked about that in our sermon two weeks ago and last week, that we don't have anything to say about anybody else's sin if we have sin in our life that we have not repented of. And so we are called to be repented of sin, not have ongoing, besetting, habitual sin in our life. So those who are spiritual are those who have repented of sin. They're also close to the Lord daily, meaning they have a relationship that is ongoing, is vibrant, and exists with God. And then one pastor, John MacArthur, defines it this way, that they are bearing fruit that you can see in their life that they know the Lord. Not just that they say it, not just that they might attend church every Sunday, but that you can see from their life the fruits of the Spirit. Those are the markers of somebody's spiritual health. Do you see gentleness, patience, kindness, etc.? And so Paul says that 
If there is a brother or sister caught in sin in the church, first, who is to confront them? The Bible says those of you who are spiritual, who do not have unrepented sin in their life, who are close to God as a matter of daily practice, who are bearing fruit in their life. And then Paul says this, how are they to be confronted? We know they are to be confronted. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, we know they are to be confronted by who? Those of you who are spiritual, how? Gently. The Bible says gentleness. Gently. And with restoration in mind. Meaning this, that the confronter, the individual who is to confront the other person who is caught in sin, has to have a proper understanding of the gospel. We talked about this last week. I'll reiterate it again and remind you every time we're talking about questions of humility and questions of faithfulness that for somebody who understands the gospel rightly, they understand this, that their sin by itself would have required the death of Jesus Christ on the cross in order to be forgiven. But that also, this God loved them so much and the one that they are going to confront so much that he was willing to die on a cross for their sin. Those two truths level us all out. Because my transgression from a worldly perspective may be much worse than yours, and here is the fact that Christ had to die for both of those things. And you may be faithful in your practice, just fully committed to all the aspects of the church, and this remains true as well, that Christ loves me just as much as he loves you. And so that brings everybody to a level playing field. Nobody is better, nobody's worse. It doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian. It's irrelevant. What your sin looks like compared to the world's sin doesn't matter before, before the Lord of the cross. All of us are equal. And so if you're going to be somebody who's going to confront somebody in their sin, you've got to have a proper understanding of that gospel so you don't approach them with pride and arrogance. And you also don't approach them in such a humble state, you might say, that you are unwilling to confront sin. But in this middle place where you understand the gospel. So how are they to be confronted gently with restoration in mind, meaning the person who confronts understands the gospel personally and with intent to restore. You who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. And so what is restoration? It means to bring right again. It means to bring right again. Now, there are certainly times in the life of the church or in other areas of the world where somebody's sin uh, causes them to be in a position where they're not able to serve in a capacity or continue to work in a business because maybe they've done something so significant. Maybe it's criminal. Maybe it's so immoral. But that's not what the Scripture is talking about. It's talking about restoration and right standing with the church and restoration and right standing with the Lord. First, the Lord, calling them to repent, calling them to confess their sin, and then in right standing with the church, apologizing to those they've transgressed against, seeking forgiveness. Toward the end of the Civil War, Abraham Lincoln was asked about his attitude toward the southern states who had rebelled regarding their restoration. Lincoln said, and Lincoln, by the way, professed to be a Christian, Lincoln said this, God does not hold our old sin against us, nor does he act like forgiveness is a favor to us, even though it is. When President Lincoln was asked how he would treat the rebellious Southerners, he said this, I will treat them as if they had never been away. 
That's what restoration means. When it comes to sin, it must be understood and it must be confronted. The word is crystal clear about that. It's assumed in this passage. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, Paul doesn't even do the labor of writing, then they need to be confronted. It's understood that they do need to be confronted. And he goes into how and who. But it is to be done with an attitude of restoration. An attitude of making things right again between the transgressor and the transgressed. And rarely, by the way, is that how you would completely define either party. Usually there's transgression on both sides. But there is to be a balancing out of restoration. Or what? Well, the Bible says this, lest we be tempted. Lest we be tempted. Because if we come to a place where we are confronting sin and we're just bulldozing in and seeking to hold people accountable, we're going to end up lobbing off people's heads and not communicating anything about redemption, not communicating anything about mercy, not communicating anything about grace, ultimately not communicating anything about the gospel. And so we come with gentleness, lest we be tempted. When someone has confronted you, you may ask yourself, look back in your story for a moment, certainly you've probably been confronted in your sin somewhere, maybe it was when you were a child and you stole cookies out of the cookie jar, Maybe your story is a little more complicated than that. When someone has confronted you, what brought you back? I bet it was because the person confronted you with what the scripture points to as understanding, which would have looked like gentleness. Truth and hope for what can be. Confronted you and said, this is wrong, but in Christ things can be made right. You shouldn't have done this, or be doing this. And yet Jesus has redemption for you, restoration for you. I bet that's what occurred when you were brought back into right standing with whoever you had transgressed against, maybe with the church. And when it comes to the church, this is how individuals in the life of the church ought to engage. And so if inside of the church itself there is transgression, we as individuals should engage this way. This is a command from the Word of God to you and to I. And how we as an organization seek to, not to banish and disassociate, but to lovingly restore, the Scripture says. And how can we apply this to our lives? This is what we call the why, what, and how. Why does this matter? What do we do about it? And how do we do it? Why does this matter? Because this is the gospel. This is the gospel. That's why this command is given in this book to this church. The gospel says this, you deserve no forgiveness, you and I deserve no restoration, no redemption, and yet Christ died and rose so that we might be confronted with love and restored to right relationship with Him. That is the gospel. And we are tools of this gospel in the lives of those around us. So what do we do? We've got to seek to make it work. Are there circumstances where people cannot be restored? Sure. Where there's no repentance. And repentance is judged by accountability, remorse, and in time change. 
And so where there's no repentance, no accountability, no remorse, then there can't be restoration. But for our purposes, when we confront, we keep seeking that. We keep seeking to make it work, calling our brothers and sisters toward, toward redemption, toward accountability, towards faith in Christ, put on display an acknowledgement of sin so that they can be restored. And so how do we do it? Well, for you and I, as a matter of personal application to our lives, let us revisit our last confrontation. Have a flashback for a moment. Were you gentle? If not, learn and apologize. I've had to do that many times myself. You will be shocked to know that when people write down a list of character traits in my life, gentleness is not always at the top. I'm sure that's very surprising to hear. But God's had to teach me through lots of apologies, lots of mistakes, and lots of accountability. And he's still teaching me. Did you seek accountability when that happened? Listen to me. And restoration? Did you seek both? If not, go back, if you can, and straighten that out. Because our first goal is to restore And as Galatians 6, 2 reminds us to bear with one another. Look with me. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Now again, Paul here is trying to address conflict in the church that he is writing to in this city of Galatia, calling them to unity in light of their sin against each other. Because they're all saved by one Lord, one gospel, one faith. And so he's reminding them, yes, you have differences of opinion. Yes, you have sin against each other. uh, But we are called to unity. We're called to redemption. Let me just be clear for a second. We talk an awful lot about unity in the life of the church. I've heard that since I was a little boy. Let me be crystal clear. In order to achieve unity, we have to have forgiveness. We have to have redemption. We have to have mercy. If we're going to preach a gospel of let's be unified, let's walk together and serve together and go together, that as a prerequisite requires us to be willing to forgive each other and to be redemptive with one another. Don't say a word about unity unless you're willing to forgive and to be forgiven. And so here he says we are to bear or endure for the long-term with others' issues. He notes the same concept in Colossians chapter 3, Ephesians chapter 4, that we are to be long-suffering is the word that Scripture uses, to bear with each other for the long haul and under the law of Christ. When Paul uses this terminology, he means the law of love, doing what is best for someone by pointing them to the Lord and his, his word. And so we fulfill this law when we seek restoration and we bear each other's burdens for the long term. One pastor, Dr. Howard Hendricks, tells this story of a young man who strayed from the Lord but was finally brought back by the help of a friend who really loved him. When there was full repentance and restoration, Dr. Hendricks asked this Christian how it felt to be away from the Lord. And the young man said, It seemed like he was out to sea, in deep water, deep trouble, and all his so-called 
friends and family were on the shore hurling biblical accusations at him about justice and penalty and wrong. Then this young man said this, but there was one Christian brother who actually swam out to get me and would not let me go. I fought him, but he pushed me aside, pushed my fighting aside, grasped me, put a life jacket around me, and took me back to shore. And by the grace of God, he was the reason I was restored, because he would not let me go. You can see here in this testimony, this account, a picture of Jesus. We just sang these words that he will not let us go. Now, we don't allow habitual sin to exist without confrontation, but our confrontation is always restorative. We don't let people wander out to sea when we call them a part of the family in the local church we are in, but instead we chase after them. But you've got to search your own heart as you consider that. Simply saying, I don't want them to float out to sea is not enough. Christ didn't say before his death on the cross, I don't want them to just wander away from me. Instead, he died on the cross and in that act reached out and pulled us to him. We either must go and get them or send others to get them. And in the life of the church, this must be our posture, especially if you're in some type of leadership role in the life of the church. Our posture and action must always be towards redemption, always be towards going after. And so why does this matter? This is our why, what, and how. Because Jesus is perpetually about our restoration. There is never a day, listen to me, there is never a day of this earthly life when Christ doesn't seek and go after you in redemption. He is always chasing you, always seeking you, always wooing you, always calling you and drawing you back. And if we say we believe in Christ, if we say we ourselves are Christians, this must be our attitude and the way we relate with one another. And so what do we do? We've got to go after the adrift Maybe there are people who are adrift today. Maybe there are some who will be adrift tomorrow. Some of you in your testimony will say that you were the one who was once adrift and somebody went after you. Who do you know that is floating away in sin in your personal life, maybe in the life of the church? Chase after them and do not let them go. And if they fight and they resist, what does Christ do? He remains open, waiting for them to come back. Let that be your posture and your heart. And how do we do that? Well, in this church, we will model restoration and redemption. Our vision strategy calls for what we call updated church systems. And as a part of that, that includes a practice of restoration that will always be the way we deal with the confrontation of sin in this church. Bringing people back to right relationship with God and with the church every time we can where repentance is present and people are seeking Christ. Bow your heads for just a moment. I want you to take this moment now to pray to God for wisdom in the places where you need to confront sin and the lives of those around you.
And so ask God to grant you wisdom. Ask God to reveal to your heart those who might be adrift, those he's calling you to go after, that he would tell you how and grant you wisdom. And I want you to pray as well that God would help you to be long-suffering with your brother. That you'll wait and wait and wait for your sister to return to Christ. finally, I want you to pray for redemption in Jesus. Maybe this day you've heard this message and there's sin in your life that you need to confess. Maybe today you don't know Christ as your Savior and you want to know him. I want you to take this moment, this time to call out to him and say, Jesus, I want to know you. I'm a sinner. I believe you can forgive me. You can redeem and restore me. And I want to trust you as my Savior. Christ, we thank you so much for your example, your mercy you extend to us every day. And God, as we deal with each other here in this place, outside of the church, as we live and work, God, enable us to be long-suffering, to walk and to wait and to be patient, to call people to truth gently with a heart of restoration. And God, if there be anybody in this place who has not been made right with you, that they would confess their sin and they would call out to you for salvation. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.